You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Inflation, recession, stagflation. Just what the hell is going on? Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to another Real Vision podcast. So, what the hell is going on? We all want to know. Here at Real Vision, we've debuted a special series called Global Recession Is Everyone Wrong? We've called on the world's best experts, including Juliette DeClerc, David Rosenberg, Peter Zihan, Pierre Anderan, and many more, to try and help us make sense of things. These real experts will be giving Real Vision members in depth, long form analysis on the real stuff that's happening. And best of all, you can get access to all 14 days of Global Recession Is Everyone Wrong for just $1. Yep, $1. So head over to realvision.com slash global recession. That's realvision.com slash global recession to join us on this epic two-week journey of discovery. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Daily Briefing. It's Monday, May 16th, 2022. I'm Maggie Lake, and here with me today is Eric Johnson, head of equity derivatives and cross-asset for Cantor Fitzgerald. Hi, Eric. How are you, Maggie? I'm doing well. Thanks for being with us. Um, Thank you for having me. Very excited. Yeah, and it's it's such a it's such a good time. Welcome to Real Vision. There's a ton of stuff going on to talk about. Kind of didn't really look like it on the surface today. It was it was kind of a weird churning day. We saw those equities in the U.S. try to rally, but once again, weakness into the close. It looks like the Dow, as we're settling here, it looked like the Dow was going to try to hang on to. Um, to some gains, ooh, just barely. Uh, but we did see the S and P down a little more than a third, and the Nasdaq down another 1.2 percent. Really, kind of closing on the lows of the session. Uh, we had oil, gold up, the ten-year yielding 2.8 percent. When you see this kind of day, especially coming off the huge volatility we've seen lately, you know, what do you make of this market action? So, you know, overall, I would say that the conviction that's in the market is extraordinarily low. I'm not sure that I've ever seen it. Uh, lower, uh, you know, in my career. And you combine that with liquidity right now is is extraordinarily poor. And that's beyond equities. That's really across all uh, asset classes, including including the rates market, where you're seeing a lot of volatility. Um, and so you also have this dynamic in the market where dealers are short gamma, which is, and we think it's a pretty significant amount, probably in the 10 to $15 billion range, which essentially means that um, as the market rallies, they're going to be buying, and as the market sells off, they're going to need to need to sell, and that's sort of exacerbating all the all the moves. What was interesting about today's action is that it looks like the stagflation trade was being put on today. So you saw oil was strong um, within you know within equities. You had energy and materials performing well in concert with consumer staples, healthcare, utilities. So essentially, buying defensives buying you know those sectors that do well with inflation and then everything else uh, whether it be cyclicals or um you know or, or growth names coming under pressure so but it's really you know it's interesting by the day and really by the minute the narrative and the tra- trading changes so quickly and it's because conviction right now is so extraordinarily uh, low 
Yeah, I'm glad you said that because it, it does feel that way. And it explains why we're seeing these kind of what feels like outsized moves if, if the if the market conditions are as you described um you know that because sometimes when you see that you think oh everybody thinks a certain way that's not the case at all right it just sounds like it's the dynamic of the market do you feel like that stagflation play is the uh, right one to be in right now does that seem like the right thing given the economic outlook we're we're seeing so I think generally, yes. However, I think the inflation outlook is actually going in the right direction. So there are a number of signs out there that tell me that the direction of inflation um, is going to be heading south for you know the next four, five, uh, six months. And it's happening for a few different reasons. Um, so you know the first one is if you look at wage growth, um, if you look at the last payroll report, if you look at the three-month annualized number for, for uh, hourly earnings, they've been accelerating at about 3.5% on an annualized basis. And if you rewind six months, that number was about 6.5%. So that's getting incrementally uh, better. If you look at what is going on with net worth, so last year uh, in 2020, 2021, we had some of the largest net worth increases that we've seen um, in, in a very long time between housing, uh, mm. bonds, and stocks all going in the same direction, that's now reversing course. And that's also going to have a helpful effect on, on inflation. Um, and then, of course, you have the base effect where you look at last year, inflation started to really start to surge back in April. So the compares every month get harder and harder. So yes, I think generally we're in that sort of uh, paradigm of I do think growth is going to continue to slow. Inflation is going to be there. But I think very importantly, as we speak, the inflation picture is getting better. And you're actually seeing that in inflation break-evens, uh, where if you look at five-year inflation break-evens, they peaked around 3.75% about three or four months ago. They're now around 3%. So it's a pretty you know sharp move lower in, a break, in, in break-evens. So the rates market is clearly seeing uh, seeing this. And I yeah. think that's going to be an important sort of positive narrative in the coming coming weeks and months. You know, I, I, I'm interested because I think that we do seem to be getting some consensus around the idea that we may have seen peak inflation. But the concern is how elevated does it stay? And then what does that mean mm-hmm. for the Fed? Paul, let's get some questions right in. Um, I love it. Um, send them on in and, and we'll try to weave them into the conversation. Paul on the exchange asking, do you believe the Fed's future rate increases will happen or are they going to put the brakes on before they go through all the projected increases? I mean, if inflation stays elevated, doesn't that box them in? Even if it's peak, if it's still really high, d- don't they have to stay the course or you know, how do you see that playing out? So I think you know, for the next two meetings, 50 bips and 50 bips, I think, is in the cards, sort of no no matter what happens. But I think that right now we are sort of at peak hawkishness. And when you look at what's priced into the rates market, it has the Fed Fed funds rate going to about 3% by May of uh, 2023, May of next year. And I actually think that's a little bit uh, too uh, aggressive. Um, Mm. So and I think actually one of the best trades out there right now is being uh, long Fed fund futures. Because I think that ultimately, what we're going to see over the next six months is that inflation is going to come down, growth is going to weaken, 
Uh, I think equities will be over the next you know six to seven months going to be under further uh, further pressure. So what I could see happening is the Fed goes 50 and 50. And then at that point, what they could say is that they want to see how the economy takes the rate hikes uh, that they've put in. So at that point, they may start to drag their feet. Maybe they go you know, down to 25 bips or maybe even towards the end of the year, uh, potentially take a pause. And their excuse can be, we're seeing inflation go in the right direction. Financial conditions have already gone tighter than we think. And most importantly, there's a lag effect to to rate hikes. And that allows us to to pause and sort of see how the data uh, goes from here. Interesting, because that's sort of, you know, that's, I think, what the Fed is hoping, right? It's a, it's a, yeah. it's a version of a soft landing. Like, listen, we start, we get this thing under control, and then we can kind of be more data dependent and see how it goes and ease back in time to prevent something happening. I think the, the worry out there is that it's it's super hard to do that and the Fed may not have the tools. Jim Bianco recently caught up with Danielle DiMartino Booth, uh, the CEO of Quill Intelligence, uh, you know, big Fed watcher, mm-hmm. former Fed person. And she's she's much more worried and kind of pessimistic about the Fed's ability to navigate this. Let's have a listen to a clip from that. But Powell told the American public last week, he has the resolve and he has the tools, do they? Right now, because there are so many exogenous forces on inflation, and I mean, food's hot. Right now, because there's so many outside forces, they only have so so many tools to address inflation. If they want to address housing inflation, which is the largest line item on any given household's in any given household's budget, they can break the house, the back of housing, which brings us back to resolve. And it wasn't the 75 basis points that got me as much as when he started falling back into his old pattern of repeating, if financial conditions warrant, if financial conditions warrant. And that's like code for as long as the stock market hangs in there, then we'll have all kinds of resolution. If it and and that was what was that was what was initially interpreted with the three three and a half percent move that was however many standard deviations away from the norm. The backlash the next day was, this is no Paul Volcker. This is not somebody who has the resolve to do what needs to be done to eventually look runaway prices that the Fed can control, i.e., housing. That is not in the public interest, which is in the Federal Reserve's very top paragraph of their main website. There, as his first paragraph of the statement said, that he was going to make the hard moves on behalf of the American people because it is it is the Fed is mandated to make, make policy in the public interest. He, he apparently is because but, but and with housing costs eating people alive, you've got to break it or then you just stick it to the people. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. 
Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. And that full interview is available to all members on our website. Uh, you know, Eric, I think John, John uh, from the RV site Kitchener has, has an interesting question that I think kind of plugs into what Danielle was talking about there. Um, he says, Eric, uh, the buy the dip mentality still persists. For example, once Jerome Powell hinted that there could be a hard landing, high growth equities rallied on Friday. How long does the equity market have to stay down before the negative wealth effect forces the Fed's hand? I, I think these are all ways of saying, is there a Fed put still? So the uh, the answer, the short answer is no, um, or you know, it's much further uh, below than where we are now. And we're clearly in a very diff different environment than we've seen the last 12 years, because not only, you know, over the last 12 years, not only have we had the monetary uh, put, but we've also had fiscal, where any sort of downturn has been bailed out by fiscal stimulus. And that's also not going to be happening, because in all likelihood, the Republicans will take at least one house um, in November, and that's going to really limit the amount of fiscal spending um, for the next two years. So um, and then as far as the Fed goes, I think that what's different during this hike cycle versus prior cycles is the balance sheet. And I think almost the balance sheet reduction is probably even more powerful and more influential on inflation than it, than rates are. So. If you look at a couple of examples recently where the equity markets have been have been weak and you've seen companies, whether it's Amazon or Carvana or Uber, uh, you know, Facebook, other companies announce that they're going to be cutting jobs. And in many cases, these job cuts are being forced by what they're seeing from the equity markets where their mm -hmm. stocks under pressure. They need to either raise cash or improve their margins, and that's causing them to announce uh, announce cuts. So it does become very self fulfilling, and I think that the reduction in the balance sheet is going to be one of the major headwinds for uh, for equity markets. And I think that to my point earlier that they might pause. That pause would be for rate hikes, but the balance sheet reduction would be continuing. Yeah, so great, I think that's great a big, point. Big Great point, Eric. And we're really not hearing about that as much as one would think, you know, given that it sort of signals this really different regime. Uh, we've been so fixated on the language and on on the rate hikes. Um, a lot of investors in parts of the market have. Uh, I want to ask you a quick question about equities, and then I want to talk a little bit more about that balance sheet. Um, it sounds like you think equities have a lot further to go to the downside. Um, you know, what kind of time horizon are you looking at? And and you know, what kind of weakness are you expecting? Is it is it in those beaten up names? Is, is, is it a, or do we see sort of different sectors that kind of, you know, rotation where defensives hold up a bit better or value holds up a bit better and it continues to hit the, the NASDAQ in tech? What, how do you see this playing out? So my my view over the course of the next three, six, nine months uh, to a year is that is that we're negative and uh, I think we're going to much lower prices, which I can get into. But mm. within that, I do think we are going to have a tactical rally. So if you look back in the year, the bear markets of the year 2000, 2001, 2002, and then you look back to 2007 and 2008, these were years where the S&P went down, you know, 60 and 70 percent uh, respectively. 
But within those sell-offs that occurred over, depending on which one, you know, a year and a half to, to two and a half years, there were plenty of rallies with within that. And um, many that were two, three months long in, in duration as the market was in this sort of bear trend. And so I think we're in a very similar situation now. The dynamics around the background of what's causing this is very different than both of those situations. But the point of having, I think we're, we are going to be, I think we are in a one, two year bear market. But within that, there are going to be times where we're going to get these tactical rallies. And I think that we're in one of those uh, right now. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, my background is I've been a trader my entire career and I combine uh, you know, deep fundamental analysis around the macro and the micro with the trading perspective, uh, trading dynamics uh, that I see. And so right now, I think we're set up for uh, for a big, a fairly big bounce based on uh, where positioning is right now, based on the inflation dynamics that I was mentioning that I was mentioning earlier and some other dynamics. But that's within this bear thesis that I have. Um, where the balance sheet is certainly uh, is certainly part of it. So where we ultimately go over the next year, I think that the S and P can go to sort of the mid three thousands, um, which you know would give us call us about you know fifteen to you know fifteen percentish from here further downside. Um, but that's going to take to take time. It's not going to be you know a straight line. Right. So Ralph asking what causes that technical or tactical rally. Uh, is there a catalyst or is it just that we see a drift up here barring any, you know, terrible headlines? Um, you know, how, how how are you thinking about timing around that? Sure. So I think it's going to happen in the near term. I think it's going to happen in the next you know, few weeks. Mm. Um, so if you look at the, the trading dynamics right now and the positioning, positioning amongst the institutional community is extremely light. So hedge funds, net exposure is at, it's actually below where it was in March of 2020. Um, so it's very close to a five-year uh, low. If you look at systematic funds, CTAs, uh, vol control, uh, and others, their exposure is also very close to a five-year low. And then macro funds are predominantly short, short equities. And so when you combine those dynamics with the fact that buybacks right now are in full force. So we think they're probably buying about four to $5 billion of, of stock per day. And liquidity is quite poor. We think that that lines up right now for the potential to get a sharp rally. In terms of what the catalysts are, I would say a couple things. You know, number one is I, I do think that the inflation outlook over the next you know, couple months is going to be, is going to improve. People are going to sort of get that we are um, we really have uh, hit peak and that that's going to be moving uh, lower. I also think that the recession fears, although I do think that growth is going to weaken, if you look at where jobless claims are right now, they're very close to historic lows. So the labor market is, as we all know, is very, very strong. It's in the process of it will weaken and it will reduce some of the um, you know excess demand for, for roles. But that that employment strength is really going to prevent this economy from really rolling over uh, hard because, you know, debt levels, both on the corporate side, individual side are, are very light uh, relative to relative to history. And so it doesn't lend your lend itself to a hard recession at this moment that could happen, you know, in 2023. 
um, and I think we will go into recession in 2023. But but for right now, um, that's not sort of on the horizon. And I would add one more thing, which is that earnings have held up so far very well. I do have a view that earnings will eventually roll over because margins right now are levels that are not sustainable. But for right now, earnings season just finished and estimates actually went up. So mm-hmm. I think I think it lines up pretty well right now for for a rally. So if that's the growth forecast, what does that mean for bonds? Michael's asking where you think two year and 10 year are in three months. Yeah, so I think bonds are a buy. Um, and I think Fed fund future rates are, are a buy. I think the outlook um, for the next couple months is going to be uh, slower growth is going to continue to be the narrative. Um, you know, lower inflation. And then one of the dynamics that I think is really important is that if you look at the individual investors' allocation to bonds and allocation mm-hmm. to equities, this is a really important factor. Or right now, allocation to bonds is at a, you know historic low, or at least re- recent historic uh, low. And then equity allocations are pretty close to a all-time high. And so one of the dynamics I think plays out over the course of the next year is that the individual investor rotates out of equities and goes into bonds. The whole argument for the past decade has been the Tina argument, and that is starting to starting to fade, where you're getting municipal bond yields, credit uh, investment grade credit yields, uh, preferreds that are actually very attractive. But it takes time for the individual investor to react to these moves that we're seeing in rates, in particular with all the volatility that's out there. So I think as things calm down over time, you are going to see this sort of big migration out of equities and into different fixed income assets. That's so interesting because, you know, at the same time, we've been you know, hearing a narrative that, listen, the 60-40 model is dead. It's not, it's not coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, generationally, do you think there's been any change that that sort of tilts the weight toward equities for a preference for equities? Yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I wouldn't say that the, I, I mean, it's certainly, uh, this has been the worst bond market performance um, almost in history. Yeah. I, I believe it has been in history. So clearly, you know, looking back, uh, you would, you know, say, say it's quite dead. But I think looking forward, um, I do think that it can work and there can be more of a hedge going, going forward where they could act as a buffer where, um, you know, if our equities thesis plays out, that bonds will react uh, favorably uh, to it. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So I want to circle back to the to the idea of the balance sheet. Uh, this is, you know, the, the, this is the, the Fed announced it 
you know, the, of course, they're putting out this idea that it's going to happen in this orderly fashion. But against the backdrop of what we've seen, huge moves in the two year, uh, we've seen we uh, across global markets, the Japanese yen, massive moves. I mean, we've seen these sort of outsized moves and volatility in what had previously been really stable, sort of safe mm-hmm. investments. Are you worried about the financial system's ability to deal with quantitative tightening? Yes. So if you look at the Fed balance sheet over the last you know, 12 years and you overlay equity market valuations um, on top of that, what you see, it's very interesting. So o- over the last 12 years, the, the Fed balance sheet has gone sideways or up every single year except for 2018. And when, when you look at the chart of the balance sheet, when the balance sheet goes sideways or down, equity valuations have fallen sharply. And when the balance sheet has risen, equity valuations have surged. And the amount of balance sheet reduction in 2018 was about $600 billion. And that actually occurred partly in 17. So it took about a year and a half for the Fed to reduce the balance sheet by uh, by about $600 billion. And in that time, if you remember in 2018, the equity market at one point sold off about uh, 20%. And then the Fed started to, to, to back off. Mm-hmm. So where we are now is the expected balance sheet runoff is going to be $1.1 trillion per year. And so what I think you're going to see is you're going to see a sharp uh, devaluation not only of equities, but you're also going to see a sharp devaluation of other uh, risk assets that are in the market. And we have been, you know, even since the March 2020 lows, the Fed expanded their balance sheet by over over $4 trillion. And that, it, that has distorted markets to the upside. And so I think you're going to see a inverse of that where you're going to see a distortion of markets to the downside because it's not a small amount of money and it will be in concert with a lack of fiscal spending. So you do have the risk of things of getting a spiral at some point where there's nothing to sort of bail out the markets. And to my point earlier, where individual investors are max long equities right now, that could be a very tricky recipe, I think, for equities. Yeah, that's a scary thought, Eric. And, you know, and you're, I just want to pull in the comment you made at the beginning of the show as well. You know, not a lot of liquidity, not a lot of conviction. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look cross asset, you look at derivatives where sometimes these problems kind of crop up first. What else aside from equities would you be worried about? Is there par- Are there parts of the market that you feel the- are fragile or parts of you know, risk assets, areas of risk assets that look particularly vulnerable? So I think in that scenario, you know, credit has held up uh, fairly, uh, fairly well. And, you know, at this point, we are, I, w- I would say that a credit uh, event or risk is, is lower on the totem pole of risks. However, if you do see the kind of sell-off that um, I think you could see in, in equities, it certainly will spill over to, to credit. Um, I think within the commodities uh, landscape, right now, 
it certainly is, you know, a lot of, of, of the metals and oil, it's really much more of a supply issue. But I think you could get to a scenario where um, you do see a rapid drop in demand. And I think that there's a lot of speculative dollars that are also in commodities. And so I'm not calling for that to happen yet, because I think right now, um, you know, demand will will hold up okay. And clearly there are supply issues. But I think down the line, that's also something that could really, you know, come come unglued. And then the last thing I would say is crypto, I'm by no means a expert, but certainly, you know, we've seen within equities, the more speculative assets, for example, ARC, ARC is below the March 2020 lows, which is pretty, um, or sorry, close to the March 2020 lows. Um, and yet crypto, certainly a different asset, but also significantly speculative uh, is well above that, that level. So I would say that is probably also at risk. Yeah. Do you, do you, um, when you're talking about credit, you're talking about high yields or are you talking about the entire corporate bond market? So really the, the entire corporate bond market, I think that, um, you know, high yield, um, I think we're starting to see some cracks, um, here and there with, um, you know, different companies, Carvana being kind of a, a headline one within the equity markets where they've been able to, uh, you know, issue debt and equity fairly freely as they're you know losing uh, a billion to a billion and a half per year of negative cash flow. And now they're having a much more difficult time. And that could be a trend down the road uh, that spills to other areas of high yield. Mm. I mean, this is potentially a pretty bearish scenario, uh, Eric. What, you know, I, and of course, I know your job is to look for opportunities. So you mentioned bonds. Um, where do you see the best opportunities across the asset classes you look at if this scenario plays out where, um, you know, we are looking at slowing growth, inflation may have peaked but stays elevated, and we have potential issues around quantitative tightening hitting risk assets and another leg down for U.S. equities. Um, if I if I summarize that accurately, where do you see the best opportunity? I mean, frankly, I think the best opportunity is going to be in uh, going to be in cash, because there are going to be, you know, there are going to be good opportunities that emerge. And I think one of the negative arguments for cash is that, you know, it's currently earning close to zero, and inflation is eight percent. If you fast forward six months from now, uh, I think inflation will be down. And, you know, I don't know exactly where it's going to be, but let's say it's going to be in the four to five percent area and cash will be yielding uh, probably at least two percent. And so that negative carry for holding cash is going to be sharply reduced over the next six months. And then, you know, the opportunity and the power of sort of having that opportunity cost for six to six to nine months of having a negative two percent yield uh, I think is going to prove extremely powerful where you're going to have opportunities to make 20, 30, 40, 50% with that cash as long as you're patient. And so I think that's really uh, the best way to uh, the best way to play it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a great point. Uh, another one of our guests recently said, you know, don't forget cash is an asset class. We tend to, yes. we tend to forget about that when we're, when we're talking about our, um, I just want to circle back on commodities because we always get a lot of interest on that. And we have um, questions about oil and energy prices. Is this another one where the time horizon really matters? So short term, you're 
less concerned or you think supply will drive prices, but you worry a little bit what medium term horizon about some of the more speculative hands in that market? Yes. So I understand the current oil, uh, you know, bullish view. Um, and I would actually, you know, in, endorse it in the in the short term, um, because I do think that, you know, as uh, China opens up and how that's going to play out, we don't we don't know exactly know. But I think that if demand from China comes back and that's in concert with really no change on the supply side, that could be a very powerful dynamic for for oil. Um, but just like, you know, the adage that higher prices uh, can cure higher prices, um, you could have a scenario where the similar thing happens in oil where you do get a little bit of a of a shock and that ends, ends up being uh, the top of the of the oil market because that creates more uh, demand destruction. And I do think that right now, if you look at, you know, US oil production, Right now, companies are choosing not to in, not to invest and you know deliver more cash to shareholders. But I think there is a price where production would actually start to increase in in the U.S. Um, if prices get high enough. So I think it would cause a few different dynamics where you could get a quick move higher and that's quickly uh, sold, and that becomes the the you know the top of the oil market. Fantastic stuff. Eric, love that we were able to talk about so many different asset classes with you uh, today. A lot of great insight uh, and advice for folks who are really trying to sort of navigate what's a really, really tough environment. So we so appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Awesome. And, and promise this will come back again soon. Yep, absolutely. Great. Thanks you so much. And thanks to all of you for watching. I'll be back same time tomorrow uh, with Vincent. I'm sure we're going to talk uh, a lot about uh, the global picture and emerging markets, something he watches closely. Until then, take care and good luck out there. It's a really complicated world out there. We've got massive inflation, recession fears, war in Europe, COVID, China issues. What the hell's happening? Everyone's got an opinion. But who's right? Who's wrong? As co-founder of Real Vision, I've got my own view, but maybe I'm wrong too. And I want to go and find out more from real experts, real in-depth analysis. And I've hand-chosen my experts for this two-week journey of discovery in global recession. Is everyone wrong? I've chosen people like Peter Zihan to talk to him about geopolitics, David Rosenberg about the economy and Pierre Andran, the world's most famous energy trader, about how to navigate the oil markets and where it's all going. This starts on May the 2nd, and I'm going to learn so much about what really is going on and how to best navigate it. Yes, not everybody's going to be saying the same thing, but it's going to allow me to piece together an investment framework to navigate these complicated times. Now, normally we give you seven day trial for one dollar. But because this is so important for all of you, and I think it's one of the most important pieces of content we've ever done, we're extending that free trial for two weeks for $1. So you get the entire campaign of all of these great minds. And it's only $1 for all of this. So just go to realvision.com forward slash global recession to find out more and join me as I try and figure out what the hell's going on. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. Your 
are a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.